1: Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It's quarantine week eight, which means <laughs> more NBA draft prospect film reviews. Uh, my guest again this week to help me break down Tyrese Halberton and Aaron Nismith is University of Saint Thomas men's hoops coach, and I, I think you're my most bored quarantine friend, Wildeberg
2: gotta be up there (laughs) gotta be up there
1: um I think it was really good that you suggested that we do Halliburton Halliburton and Neesmith this week but for for me what I'm doing is I'm like I'm trying to avoid like reading or watching any of these guys until I until I dig into them like at all you know and you see some of this stuff by accident like I'd seen that Tyrese Halliburton was a 43% shooter you know you you read like the the really bad basic draft profiles or something the the big boards and so I knew I knew they're both shooters right Halliburton 43 percent Neesmith 52 percent but but really as kind of looking at more of their stat profile and their age they're both sophomores positionally they're probably more like gonna both play the two guard in the NBA they're very similar on paper prospects but (laughs) I, I can't think of two players who are more similarly statistically and
2: different on film right they're, they're similar on paper. They're also similar in the sense that both sophomores, like you said, mm-hmm. neither of them, I think Neesmith was like the 77th ranked player on ESPN. Halliburton mm-hmm. was not ranked. So they both were kind of under the radar coming up. They, neither of them went to big high major schools, Iowa State for Halliburton and Vanderbilt for Neesmith. So they both kind of have emerged late, which I thought was interesting. They both kind of really came into their own as sophomores. Um, isn't this, that a product of those rankings and you probably follow
1: this closer than I do but it seems like those rankings are very often influenced by a player's athletic ability so for for somebody like Halliburton or Nesmith who who aren't going to be I mean aren't going to be high level athletes in in the NBA I feel like that would probably show up when you're watching these guys 16 17 18 years old in their high school AAU and maybe that's kind of what what holds them back from being ranked higher and then they, two years later, become top fifteen in their class in the draft right. because they produce at a really right. high level in the in at the NCAA.
2: Well, yeah, it, it would be interesting to go back and look at this time last year, and I, I didn't know much about either either one of these yeah. guys, but were they on draft radars? Like, did either of them consider have been. their stats are bad? Uh, yeah, I mean, they they weren't nearly as good as they are this year. Um, I mean, Halberton made 3s last year and he started on a really good Iowa State team and they made the tournament and so I don't know my point is I don't know if they were right I doubt it but now here here we are talking about them as lottery picks lottery picks exactly so it's it's kind of crazy how 8 months 9 months can make a you know and I think difference. it's a, just
1: like it was with Obi Toppin I think it's a it's a reason to like proceed with caution right where you go okay this guy was really good this year but they weren't last year. Why? You know, and it doesn't mean that they can't be good at the next level, but you gotta, you kind of, that's the way I look at it, at least and trying to figure out because just inherently in college basketball, it is a smaller sample size. Right. And like Aaron Neesmith, we'll get to, like, I I think he's going to be a high level shooter, but he, he shot 52% and it, and he shot a lot of threes per game, but it was only 14 games. Right. So I, you know, I kind of go into it, ask myself, well, what if he was just 40% from three and it wasn't 52 would that in, how much is that influencing, you know, what, what I, what I think with it. And I kind of came to the conclusion with Neesmith that it, it, it didn't because I liked how the shot looked, but I just feel like that's a really important factor in all this is to, to use these stats as guidelines and, and not truths. Like there's something that could be
2: proven true, but it just, it isn't right now. Right. I mean, to your forty percent head, Neesmith shot for it. To me, that wouldn't have changed much because yeah. I think I don't think anyone's expecting him to go out and shoot fifty two percent from three <laughs> in the NBA. And so, if you, you know what I mean. And if, like you said, the way he comes off screens, the the way his shot looks, like he's gonna be a good shooter. Like there's just no way he's not in my like in right. my opinion. It, so, it, and we can get to him later. I know you wanted to start with
1: with I did. It's just I, I do want to again just to to talk about three point percentage. I don't know maybe. Maybe I view view this stuff different. It's just sometimes we just treat three point percentage as like an attribute, like total, like it's two K. And if you're over a forty, whatever forty percent, then you're a ninety at three point shooting. And that just isn't the case. It depends on what the shots you're taking are, how many of them you took, you know what the you know what the quality of those looks are. And I think particularly with college basketball, that's really important to parse. We've talked about Joshua Kogi before, thirty eight percent both years at Georgia Tech. Now two years in the NBA, arguably one of the worst volume shooter, arguably the worst volume shooting three-point shooter in the NBA, you know? So it's, you don't want to just, you know, cite one example to, to prove your point. But again, I think it's just particularly with three-point percentage, we got to proceed with caution, be optimistic about it if you want, but watch the tape, where are the shots coming from? And that is the biggest difference between Hal, Hal Burton and Neesmith as shooters is how they're getting their three-point shots night and day, different, very different offenses, very different, you know, Halliburton's initiating offense where, where Neesmith is more of a a traditional two guard. So that all just matters. That all factors into the ultimate assessment of these guys is going to be so important is how good are they going to be at shooters in the league? That is going to define so much of them. And it's, it's really the thing we need to, you need to parse through if you're a team drafting in the lottery you got to able you got to be able to dig through that so let's go into um, let's do, let's do halliburton first um, as I like to do do the the size yeah. the size point of it I think is important tyrese halliburton six foot five six seven and a half um, wingspan one hundred and seventy four
2: pounds. I don't know what you're going to say about the ringer well, the ringer, and why does everyone think it's a seven foot wingspan i, I mean I, where are you getting the six, seven and a half? So
1: Sam Vecini sent me a picture of the handout he got of the players' measurables at Nike camp this past summer. Okay. That that has a six. He was measured at, at the Nike Academy,
2: the six, seven and a half wingspan. Because I understand so, being off by an inch or or two, maybe, but... Six, seven and a half and seven feet
1: is... So I guess it's not impossible for somebody's wingspan to grow in six months, particularly if you're still kind of... I mean, I guess it would have been a teenager at the yeah. time. It's possible. But, but here's the thing. He weighs 174 pounds. And, and there's only been two players in the past 10 drafts who have had a seven foot wingspan who weighed under 185 pounds. It, just, it, it almost doesn't work on bodies. To be that like, because right. arms are heavy. I mean, yeah. like, I know it seems really basic. Yeah. Like, I just oh, we'll see at a combine, and maybe it ends up being six nine or something. So I, let's, I don't know.
2: Let's call it six nine for right now, and let, and which is probably optimistic. It's probably yeah. But I mean, for the sake of six five six nine.
1: Let's just let's just definitely not assume it's seven feet because that would be very very and different. it changes a lot, right? I yeah, mean, it, I mean, it would help. It yeah, would help if it's seven feet especially. defensively, and I think for Halburton, who doesn't finish well, yeah to be able to have five more inches yeah. on his wings, so right? That would be, be huge. But so the, the way I looked at it, again, going through the past um, 10 draft classes is for these tall, lanky guards, it's kind of two different molds. It's the, it's the lead guard guy, which is like DeLon Wright is that body type. Alfred Payton is that body type. And Zach Levine is that body type kind of coming in. You know, and maybe Zach Levine isn't a, isn't a point guard, but you know what, kind of like a... Yeah. And all those guys are maybe more like one and a halves, but they, they can lead, be a lead guard in the offense. The other dudes who are this tall, lanky body type are more kind of defensive minded dudes like Terrence Ferguson um, from the Thunder, Michael Carter Williams for the, the magic and Patrick McCaw, the Warriors and the Raptors the past two years. You know, you think about those guys more as twos who maybe defend ones or defend the other teams, defend the point of attack. The, kind of the main the main threat uh, in that way and those are those are two pretty different archetypes of players right yeah when when you're drafting and and I think for halliburton that will whatever team drafts him deciding to put him in a lead guard role versus more of a a role player two role might really define his trajectory of his career at, at least initially where where do you see him? kind of fitting into those two bins?
2: I think defensively, I think he could be either. I think right. I think he can guard the one, he can guard the two. He's. I'm assuming he's going to get stronger. I'm, I'm assuming that 174 is going to turn into 195, 190, you know, 15, 15 pounds, call it. Um, so defensively, I think he w- will be capable of guarding ones and twos. Offensively, I, I just, I didn't love him on the ball. I just... And I read some things about him. He's a a good passer, but people calling him like the best passer passer I've ever seen. I'm like, I just didn't. He doesn't show up on the tape. No, he's a good passer. Like, it's definitely a strength of his. But so I think he's more an off the ball guy because I didn't love his handle and I didn't love his. I I think what we
1: need to clarify here, because I think we're both in the the same realm here. And it's hard because I don't want to piss people off who are listening to this because I know a lot of people like Halbert. And. We're going to both come off negative on on yeah. Halbert and this.
2: I to be honest, going into this, I thought you were going to really like Halbert. I don't know why I thought that. I thought we were going to have a big like argument fight on it. on the yeah. Pod. It's
1: so I, I guess I just want to say it, it's not that I you know I'm trying to be combative in this way. It's just the, the reality for him is there there are holes in his game, and every every prospect has holes. But he's take, really unique, right? He's, he's, he's really unique, and it just depends whether or not you think he's going to be able to finish. Better yeah. at the NBA level do you think that shot is going to is going to be able to translate to the NBA and do you think that he's going to be able to capably defend for me in all three of those things from watching him and re-watching him particularly the shot because I think that's the most interesting one I fall on the the more likely not yeah. side of it and ultimately when I give that three x's it's very hard to for me to come off with a, a positive review of Halliburton. So I think to each person, I would challenge you to go, you know, to go watch him. And I think it's important to watch the times where he doesn't have success, because if you do just watch the highlights, if you watch the highlights of his jump shot, the ones that go in, yeah. it looks, it looks pretty good. If you watch the times where he has the big block at the rim, or he has a yeah. nice steel, it looks pretty good. But if you watch it all in the aggregate, there's clearly holes. And as a, which there is for Anthony Edwards too, you know, that I think you and I, or me particularly kind of brush over. And in the name of thinking, he's going to develop those things. But Anthony Edwards has an elite body type, elite yeah. athleticism. And I think that can cover up for some of these things. So I'm just, I'm just really skeptical that, that Hal Burton is going to be able to, to overcome those
2: issues. And I think if you, if you like go on Google and type like YouTube, Halliburton college mm-hmm. highlights and you watch like a six minute clip, he's going to look like a top five. You're going to be like, he is awesome. The, right. The like, classic
1: three and D like what yeah. the NBA and needs. You're going to
2: convince yourself that his shot is a little unorthodox, but you're going to, you're going to talk yourself into it. That it's a reliable shot. Two years over 40%. Yeah. Blah, blah, but blah. I would, if go watch like a, a full game or two of him and there are play there. There's just a lot that, that, I don't know. There's just Let's, a,
1: let's go let's go into him thing by thing. All right, so at the at the as a lead guard, as a point guard, yeah. which he definitely was at Iowa State, he his hand he does not have an NBA handle. No, and he can't go left. That's different different conversation, but yes. Sure. I think and this is kind of a separate tangent, you know, now having listened to a bunch of like podcasts and stuff on Killian Hayes, I think that's just really overrated. Like and lefties they, get a pass too. Yeah, I just when think when a lefty can't go right, it's fine. When a righty can't go left, <laughs> it's true. like he can't dribble. I, I just think for Halliburton or for Hayes, I think they'll both be able to develop that. That's just yeah. that's just player development, right? But but it's a it's a it's a clearly sloppy handle for Halliburton. And when, when he what when it's good is he's just like, it doesn't really matter that it's sloppy because it's just so up paced tempo, and he's just he's just playing natural and flying around and he's he's reading the floor and taking advantage of a shifting defense, right? He's a, you know, the classic thing your coach told you never to do growing up is jump and then make a pass. He does that all the time. And it looks awesome when, when you, you know, connect on that. And there, there are highlights of it. And again, just like his three point shooting, there are stats of he, he was a high level assist rate guy. It's just to think about it in the NBA context, when the defense is going to transition better, when the guys who are defending him and defending the guy he's passing to are bigger and longer, those, those holes shrink. And, and I think we'll see more of the sloppiness that did show up. At the NBA level, I think we'll see more of the sloppiness because he had a bunch of bad turnovers. A bunch of them. Yeah. At, like Not just turnovers, but that you should not have passed the ball in that situation. It's pretty obvious. And it just it leads me to be skeptical that he could be... A really high level distributor at the next level. Right.
2: Well, so he averaged three turnovers a game, which is high. Yeah. Really high. And he averaged six and a half assists. So, really, he's looking at just above a, a two to one assist to turnover ratio, right. which is not, if you're an unbelievable passer and got great court vision, two to one assist to turnover ratio is, is yeah. fine. Like, it's totally. not great, but it's like, it's okay. Um, and so the turnovers are concerning. What, what did you like about him? Like, watch it. What were some of the, the positives? I, I think the, the positive is
1: extremely assertive. He's extremely assertive. assertive. And I, I, start, I was thinking a lot about, I, I think where he's going to end up landing is somewhere between, I, I talked about those two different groups where there's the lead guard and then there's the two. I think he's going to land somewhere in between where it's like, I was thinking about DeLon Wright and Terrence Ferguson. And, and it's going to be somewhere in, in the middle of those two guys. And, and I mean, I know those are kind of, deep cut names, but they're both really, what, what holds them back is they're not assertive. They're, they're really good at like Terrence Ferguson, elite athlete doesn't use it. Right. And, and Delon Wright's kind of that way too. And I think reason to be optimistic with Halliburton is he's going to be assertive at the next level. Like look no further than his jump shot where he's like, Oh, this is a fun, funky looking jump shot. Like I'm confident in it. And to his credit, he made it for two years. He, he made that shot. But I, I can't help but, but look at it, and he shoots it different every single time. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just not <laughs> – so I don't know. His assertiveness, maybe that will lead to him as he gets bigger, being a, being a high-level passer. And it's happened before where guys who shoot weird, you know, are able to find success. Maybe that assertiveness just makes up for, you know, a, a non-traditional looking jump yeah. shot.
2: And I think it's – like everything I read, I read articles about him talk about – how like his leadership and like his how good a teammate he is. And like everyone praised him at Iowa State for being like this awesome, super vocal guy. And I don't know if that means anything, but being a guy who is unranked, comes to Iowa State, probably never thought he'd play in the NBA, or at least the Mm -hmm. perception was you're never going to be an NBA player if you're not ranked in the top 150. I mean, so he maybe he just has this unbelievable confidence that we can't measure on paper that his jumper is going to be fine and that he is going to, like, just figure it out because of he, like... Talk to me about the jumper. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw the stats before I really... I watched, I don't know, an Iowa State game or two this season and didn't, you know, didn't dive into it, didn't pay that close of attention. So I saw the numbers, and I'm like, wow, 42% on six threes a game. Like, I can't wait to watch this. And so I started watching the film, and I'm like, hold on a second. like <laughs> that, There's no way that's how he shoots. And he just... it's. For those of you who haven't seen it, he like sets it on his right shoulder, and then just kind of like it's his. It's exclusively launched from his upper body.
1: Correct. His two legs are look like. I'm, I'm looking at your wine bottles right now yes. across, <laughs> and it looks his legs are just locked like wine bottles, and it's it's a full on. What I wrote down in my notes is it's not a set shot; it's a set launch. Yeah, and, I mean, again, and it, it went in. It just I go. Okay, how's that going to work when you're being defended I, by Kawhi Leonard?
2: I just, I don't, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that's what it, that's what it was, and that's it, what he shot. It was a quick release. It was pretty quick, way better off the catch. Like when he was, he, they, mm. Iowa State did play him off the ball a fair amount, and when he would spot up, it was actually, and you could say this probably, but a lot of shooters, but. Off the catch, I didn't hate it nearly as much as when you sure. try to shoot it off a ball screen if they go under a screen and he would just kind of shoot this little weird mm-hmm. shot so I don't know i I usually don't get too caught up in form unless it's this this Concerned. weird like I just I, I don't see it i don't I don't care if he shot forty two percent I don't care if he shot fifty percent i just I don't see that translated into the nBA so
1: so he these have been great on ESPN Mike Schmitz has been doing the one-on-one sit downs with kind of all these prospects and, and talking to him. And they're, they're all fascinating because because Schmitz isn't afraid to point out these guys' weaknesses. And it, it was interesting, particularly when the jump shot came up and the two of them were talking and, and Halliburton one acknowledges that his form is incorrect mm-hmm. and will need to change and evolve as he gets to the NBA. I think that's a good sign. What what I found, and I don't know, I guess this is just one line. One thing he said he was like, well, I have to shoot it different in different situations. Like he changes his form when he's in the corner versus when he's above the break. Like he, and he's admitting to this, I have to shoot. My form changes when I'm going off the dribble versus you're shaking your head. I mean, that's just, you're a coach. Like I I was texting my friend about this. And it's like a coach is never going to let that happen. They say, no, 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 no. Hold on. That's not okay. He goes, well, yeah, I shoot it in different situations, different ways in different situations, but it goes in. A coach is gonna say, "No,
2: you have to shoot. You have to have consistent mechanics." I just can't like back. Like when I play, like if I ever thought like that, I don't know. It's just you shoot the same shot. Like that's what you teach kids at a young age. Like mm-hmm. I don't really care how it looks. I do, but like as long as you're doing the same thing over and over and yeah. over again, that's how you become a really good shooter. And if you're sh- if you're changing how you shoot. I think it's almost impossible to become a good shooter. It well, it's just going to it's going to need to be reworked. Yeah, at the NBA level. So, and do you have examples of guys in the NBA who've needed to to, to change their shot and have then changed it effectively? Lonzo Ball,
1: and I think he's the most but interesting. Has he changed com-
2: it effectively? What, what did yeah, he, he did. He, okay. this, yeah,
1: it, it changed. I mean, he ch- it changed effectively, in particular, if you look at the pat like the last few months. And I mean, I feel pretty confident talking about this too. Because I mean, Zion was just so fun to watch. It was. You know, a Pelicans game was like must watch. I've watched yeah. a ton of Lonzo, Lonzo ball games. And yeah, I mean, I think Lonzo's going to be fine as a shooter. I mean, he's not going to be next level or anything, but it, it, I think people's minds are going to shift or they should shift if they watched him that, you know, this guy's going to be okay
2: shooting, yeah. shooting and the ball. I was a huge Lonzo ball fan when he was in college too. Like I just, I still am. And so I, I'm probably in like the popular comparison to Haliburton is Lonzo. Sure you know same size, odd looking shot, good passer. Like they they fit on paper. Dude, the the stats and the stats are frightening.
1: Frighteningly identical. Yeah. Like they both average 16.6 points per game. Mm-hmm. Assists are, are the same. Rebounds 6.8 6.4. Steals 2.1 2.7. Turnovers 2.8 3.0. 3 point percentage 41.2 41.9. I mean it's so it's makes, identical.
2: Cuz I think we would but we don't think I mean, do you think he'll get to Lonzo's level? Because <laughs> I don't. And I, the, the, and I was trying
1: to figure out why I didn't think that. I think Lonzo has, the thing Lonzo has going for him is he has an elite basketball IQ. Yes. And and you see that playing with him that, I mean, I, I would put him, it, it's, whenever I've talked to people about Lonzo Ball before, I brought up Nikola Jokic, which which seems weird. And, I, and Jokic is 100th percentile in that. Yeah, But there's, there's a, there's a, a way about Jokic and there's a way about ball where they, you know, people like to say, Oh, they, they see what's going to happen before it happens. Those guys, they influence what's going to happen before it happens by, you know, fainting one way or one mm-hmm. or the other. And I, and I think Lonzo is going to find that. And you put him in the right system around the right players, which is a requirement. I think Lonzo would be bad on a bad team. Yeah. Cause he's just so reliant on those guys. And I think that the same is going to be true for Halliburton because Hal Burton. Does, I'm not saying he has a low basketball IQ. He is just going to be reliant on his teammates because he never he never gets to the basket, and Lonzo never gets to the basket, and probably never will. He's just not physical, not a, not a great athlete. Like the, again, another thing that was identical on their stats, like one free throw
2: attempt per game. That's frightening to me.
1: Especially if you're a point guard, you get like an intentional well, follow
2: game. Or and something. it's like, like when you're clearly their best player. Like I always say it was terrible this year and they have a lottery pick. Mm-hmm. So there's no secret. Like you're the guy, like just put your head down and get to the rim. Like find a way to shoot free throws. I thought I clicked on the wrong thing on synergy.
1: Like I clicked on a, his stats or his video of like just shots and not fouls because, because I'm watching. And again, I, I didn't know the stats before watching. I'm like, Dude, this guy has not got fouled. I've been watching Ever. for 45 minutes and he hasn't got fouled once. Right. And, and it's just, he's he's afraid of contact 100% right now. And, and maybe that's, that's self-preservation because he weighs 174 pounds and he's an absolute string bean. But who, other than Lonzo, like who is a successful starting point guard in the league or lead guard in the league who is never getting to the bucket and is never getting the free throw
2: line? Uh, yeah. Does, I don't know. How many free throws does does Rubio shoot a game? More now. Yeah. Yeah. Like Early on it wasn't much though, right? Right. Actually watching Halliburton, Rick, Ricky came to mind sure. a few times. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if that was just a terrible comparison. And I don't like doing the NBA comparisons like we've talked no, about. No, but it's it's like the the style of
1: play. Like, obviously yeah. he's very Different in a lot of ways, that, but than I, Ricky. I did.
2: I did just. There was a few times where I'm like, God, that just feels like Ricky. Like weird shot, mm-hmm. not a good one on one player at all, but like a good passer, really good in transition.
1: Yeah. Well, that's gonna be the thing that unleashes
2: him, right? Halliburton. Yeah. That's because when I asked you what I what you liked about him, to me in transition, right. he was unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. He was that that lead pass that Lonzo was really good at. Yep. Halliburton had numerous those where, head passes. He, and yeah. it's on the it's it's you know perfect passes in transition for layups or he just gets out and runs and dunks it like he's
1: so so here's my question with that is I'm he totally is like the type of guy who you'd be like oh this this guy would be great in pace and he was great in pace at Iowa State but okay what if he is playing in an up tempo the Timberwolves right he's playing in an up-tempo system but he's not the point guard which he wouldn't be in Minnesota how good how good can you be as the two guard in an up-tempo system if you don't have the ball in your hands and you can't get you can't get to the basket. I, I I just don't know. Doesn't that just kind of deflate the whole value of being able to to run?
2: Like he's good at running with the ball in his hands. But how many guys can go run the wing, catch it, and dunk it without like without having the ball? Like they're just running the wings. That's what I'm saying. And I yeah, I, there's there's a lot of guys like that.
1: And ostensibly, we think about this through the Timberwolves lens too. And let's just say that you know next they they do draft him, and and whatever the Wolves go with a starting lineup of. Russell Beasley Halliburton Wancho Cat, he transition or not, he's not going to be able to bring the ball up like D'Lo and Beasley are ball hogs, right? So, so then you become a flanker, right? Transition or in the half court, and and what is in those contexts? What is he good at? Yeah, like honestly, what's the answer? I I don't know. Somebody is going to say, well, he's a
2: forty-two percent free or three-point shooter,
1: and. Right. And, and that's where that's where I think our
2: argument, you know, against him kind of falls apart. But if Lonzo, if you move Lonzo off the ball, it takes away everything he's good at.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, though, he did fit like Drew Holiday's kind of weird, too, where they're like both kind of on the ball guys. Yeah. And so maybe to take the Minnesota example, maybe that's what D'Angelo would need to do is be like, we got I, both of us. It's got to be like a one-two punch. We're both doing this together. And Beasley, we need to accept the role of like, oh, I'm a wing. I'm not like the, the lead guard in this situation. But you come in as a rookie, like a, a rookie who isn't a high-level prospect, doesn't totally pop. Like it would take a lot for D'Lo or Beasley to give him that credit and be like, oh, yeah, we're gonna let,
2: we're going to let Tyrese do his thing. I just, I don't really see that happening. So then f- from the Wolf standpoint, if you, if you do take him, it's probably with the idea of it's your show with the second five, with the second yeah. group. And then you
1: just get a, it's, it's your, it's your team. And that, you know what? That's a good point. Cause, cause maybe that's what we just need to think about for a lot of these guys, Yeah. whether it's Cole, you know, we were talking about Cole Anthony before and we're like, oh, Cole Anthony can never play against, alongside DeAndre also. Well, he could lead the second unit. Or Tyrese Maxey, whatever it is, like you just don't normally think of a top five pick as a guy that you're like, all right, yeah, go lead our second unit.
2: And I think with this draft, how many? I mean, to get away from just these two specific guys, how many players in this draft alone would start on this team on the Wolves get game one next year? Anthony Edwards would. Yep. Um, Aaron Neesmith, I actually think would. We yeah. We will talk about him next. But aside from. F- maybe Obi at the four, maybe. Yeah. But then you got the defensive problems. So I guess my point is that there's only yeah. a few guys that you would draft saying this is our starting because point guard is taken, shooting guard is taken, mm-hmm. and center is taken.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. And then even if you're on the wing, it's like I mean, a Kogi and Culver have their flaws, Correct. but they're not
2: zeros. So the way I think about it, at least, is these are going to be high quote high level backup players for, for early on yeah. in their career. Not to say that, and, and maybe ceiling. for their whole career, maybe. But, and, but yeah. I, that's how I look at it. And you you under, you know the Timberwolves pieces way better than I do. But in my mind, I have them slated in, unless we get an Anthony Edwards or yeah. one of the guys we just mentioned. These are guys that are going to play 20 minutes a of game off the bench. Yeah. And then we'll kind of figure out from their – how they produce off the bench, where they fit in going forward. And through that lens, Tyrese Halliburton becomes more interesting. Yeah. Which, again, and we've talked probably on every pod about fit versus taking the best player – or best yeah. player available – if 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 the wolves scouts and and GM and, and everyone think he's the best most talented player ever, does I don't care. It doesn't matter what position he plays. Sure. Take, take him and then we'll figure the rest out
1: f- as we from go. There, right. As we go. I think a big part of him also being a successful defender. Before we move on to Neesmith, I want to talk about him defensively. I do too, because again. Trying to avoid all information before it wasn't. I I I have th- I had this idea in my head that he was a three and D wing and a, a defensive guy. And I'm watching and, you know, I go through the first like eight games and I'm like, when's the good defense come? And I'm seeing a lot of errors over pursuits on closeouts, kind of kind of getting lost a little bit, like playing the high side, trying to get steals a lot. And and it was just I what I wrote down in my notes was. If Isaac Okoro from this class is a 10 out of 10 defensively, like if we're just doing Mm -hmm. attributes one to 10,
2: what is Tyrese Halberton? So I had a hard time with this because I, so in my notes I had like on the ball, I was actually pretty impressed with him. Like when it was, Mm -hmm. you have the ball, I'm guarding you. Let's, let's play. I thought he was really good when he was off the ball. He was absolutely terrible. And so I don't know if I've seen a gap as far as on the ball versus off. Like, he would just get in the habit. And I would rather have a guy be really good on the ball. Because I think off the ball, you can kind of fix and you can coach. And it's it's That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. So I actually think he's a plus defender coming out. Off the ball, though, there were so many times where it's like his man is on the opposite wing. Ball's over here. And he just stares at the ball. And his guy either shifts up or cuts back door, and he's like a second or two late. Guy gets a wild. He wide plays open. so high every time, and he's not like again. You talked about his legs with the shot; how he doesn't get low and, yep. and bend them. It's the same thing on defense. Yep. he's a, he just stands straight up, which then when he has to react, it takes him a second longer than it should. So he's late closing out, or someone cuts behind him, and he's late getting back there, and he gives up layups. And so off the ball, it just was. It was. I, I just wonder with this watch. stuff.
1: It's like. For, on both ends, it's like he's going to have to get stronger, and he's going to have to get more athletic at the next level. And he looks like his body looks like somebody who will get stronger. I'm and assuming he's
2: going to because I think his body is actually pretty good for the NBA.
1: Yeah, and and so then again, then you start seeing it through a little bit more rose-colored glasses. Like, oh, this is something that could develop. But I think he's a sophomore, he's not a freshman. He's not a 18-year-old, and everything about the way he played to me screamed teenager. Yeah, and and I don't know. I is that. I don't know how to, how concerned to be about that. I would just like to think that in a draft full of all freshmen, outside of Obi Toppin and Aaron Nesmith, pretty much right, like that the guy that the sophomore would be the one who doesn't have things that like pretty clearly need to be coached out of him, right? And that that that's just that's a, the the big concern I had defensively, and then also like he isn't very he isn't very physically imposing. No, I, I don't. He didn't really get punished. I noticed that like. They didn't look to just like go through him or post him up or anything. Opponents didn't, and I don't know. Maybe that's a credit to him. But six, seven, six, eight, six, nine wingspan—that isn't that special.
2: It's not. If you're six five and you're six eight wingspan, it's pretty average. I would say. Yeah. So it, it, the wingspan thing to me, I don't. It's I don't get why people are talking about that unless they think it's seven feet.
1: Yeah, oh, he he just looks like he has long arms because he doesn't have muscles. Like he's just right. very
2: so skinny. Back to the defensive. So when I was watching all of his defensive clips, and I noticed like when he's guarding the ball, so I went back and looked at Synergy to see like if my observations were matching like the stats in ISO. So when he's guarding the ball and the guy goes at him one on one, point five points per possession, which is unbelievable. <laughs> awesome, when his guy spots up and then he's got to go guard him, point nine six. Yeah. So it's and what that looked
1: like was him he'd be like oh shit there's my guy and he'd sprint out to him and he'd do it was a congo. we talked about this last yeah. week where he tries to block the shot and falls into the bench Correct. or the stand yeah. sort of thing i mean is that
2: over and over again or it's a rhythm three or he yeah he's got a, mm. he closes out way too hard and the guy just goes right by him so it's and again to me that's easier to fix than yeah. you just can't move your feet and just can't Stay in front of someone. Right.
1: And so that's where I go back and forth between of like, okay, these are probably things he will be able to fix. But then I have Isaac Okoro in my head as the other main, I don't know if it's three and D, but defensive prospect on the wing in this class. And none of, he had none of those issues. He, right. He had, he had none of those issues. He's incredibly solid on defense, incredibly solid on defense. And, and so I'm, I don't know, like, yeah, Hal Burton made over 40% of his threes, but his shot's going to need to be reworked. One hundred percent going to need to be reworked to get it off at the NBA level. Isaac Okoro's shot is going to need a lot of work at the next level too. So, so how much? On, but again, on p- most boards they. they I just. I, I guess I don't understand
2: why Haliburton is ahead of him. I don't either, and and I, <laughs> and I think he is. If you look on paper, it just it's it does not back up his play. It doesn't. And I think like if any big Haliburton fan. Like who really like go, go watch a game, a full game. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see his flaws that you don't see on a six minute highlight tape.
1: It it was, it was really interesting for me watching the uh, Mike Schmitz thing with him, which was, you know, majority highlight, particularly like the first 15 minutes of it. You know, he's starting with the softball questions and he's he's showing all the highlights of it. And I'm like, damn, you know, like watching all these clips, he looks pretty good, Mm -hmm. but it's very different than what I just watched when I watched all of your possessions, because Mixed into the highlights are serious flaws. Yeah, on, on many different levels. Not one flaw flaws on all, all levels of the game. And I, I don't know. It just and I just I don't know what his number one skill is. I don't know what his number one skill is, right? Because I, the people are going to say passing, because the stats were there. But you watch him, it's funkier than you think. It's not clean. It's, it's not just, clean. It really isn't clean passing. So he's, he's a unique prospect, and he's one where we could be, uh, you know, four years from now we're talking about. remember when we were doing those, those pods and we were ripping on Halliburton, and now look at him. He's, he is the next Shea just Alexander. Yeah. You know, maybe I just I, – I, if I'm betting, I'm not betting on that. I'm just really – I really would be very
2: surprised if that happened. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I don't know. I just – I think – even in a bad draft, I just have a hard time thinking he's a top six or seven guy. And, and I, I'm wanting and the, a guy that ha- gives me, give me one thing. Yeah. Give me one thing. Like, I, I and we're going to talk about him next. I don't understand why you would take Halliburton over Neesmith. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Because, let's move to Neesmith. Because Neesmith is for sure going
1: to be a high level. Shooter, Yes. I mean, I've, I guess you can't ever say for sure, but you watch, you watch those 115 threes he shot. He made more than half of them. And you watch he's playing for Jerry Stackhouse. Very like pro style offense. Yeah. Right. They're using him pretty much exactly like the Kings use Buddy Heald. I mean, it was impossible not to be like, oh, yeah, like this translates. It's yeah. very easy to see Aaron Nismith's game offensive game translating yes. to the NBA level. Oh, and defense.
2: <laughs> and then, yeah, that's I was going to say, and so the thing about his shooting is the only concern I have about his shooting is if his defense is so bad, he did the shoot. It can't play. It doesn't get, he doesn't get on the court. So before we started recording, the
1: first thing you had your computer up and you, cause you, we've been texting for a long time. You're like, was my favorite guy in the draft, favorite guy in the draft, all this. And you're like, I need to, I hadn't watched enough of his defense. So, and you pulled up the clips of it and it,
2: it's really, really concerning. So you mentioned to start the pod that I was pretty bored during quarantine, which <laughs> is fair. Um, and I've got a buddy who is our our student assistant at St. Thomas, Cooper Olson. He texted me probably about a month ago and I was like, Hey, you should watch this Aaron East, but then I heard about him and watched yeah. not much, a little bit. And so I'm like, All right, great. So I start watching his offense and I just like fell in love with him. And I'm like, How is he like how is he not a top ten pick? Like every every mock I've seen is like 16 to 24. Mm -hmm. And so I've watched him on offense and he doesn't really have a flaw on offense. I don't think his handle is great, but I think one and two dribbles is shooter fine. fine. Like he's never gonna take seven dribbles. And but so he we mentioned he shot 52% from three, um, shot it well from the line. Like he's just a really good shooter. Uh reads screens really well, comes off screens well, sets screens well, and then which frees him up for shots. Um, kind of like Duncan Robinson ish a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like I just like, and I, this is going to be taken away out of context, but he plays like clay and I don't mean he's yeah. going to be as good as clay, but if you haven't seen him play, just think about how clay doesn't really dribble, but he still just finds ways to get open. He's really fun to watch when the ball isn't in his hands. Correct. He's like, he's perfect
1: in that sense where he's very like inherent, like in tune with where the offense and the defense is moving and moves like in tandem with that to the corner above the break to cut through. It's like, it's really perfect in, yes. in, in that sense. And, and it, it's, I, I think at the NBA, at the NBA level, like I, to understand why a guy is really bad defensively, you have to watch him all the time. And it's, it's part of the reason why I think my, my personal opinion on buddy healed is he's a very underrated player. And I just love watching him. But I, I can't say that I'm like, every time I've watched Kings games, I'm really intently looking at how problematic he is defensively. And, you know, then I have brought that up with some other people. I have one friend who's a beat writer for, for, the, for the Kings. And he's like, it's just, if they get to the playoffs, teams are going to play him off the court defensively. That the, the defense is such a problem. I always have to like, remind myself of that when I fall in love with Buddy Heald's offense that he is a massive problem defensively and that's the difference between him and clay thompson yeah is that clay thompson is an all nba defender yeah you can't play clay thompson off he's the best shooter in the league or one of them and
2: a problem like <laughs> yeah one of the good best way. defenders in the, in the league so it's and so so i watched all offense first like and like it was, and I just couldn't believe and like I, I didn't think he was gonna be great on defense, but I'm just like, how in this draft, right? This mm-hmm. draft with it's very well known that this is a, a bad draft on paper, right now at least. So how is this guy, a six-seven, the best shooter in the draft, pretty athletic? Like he had some dunks yeah. where it's like, okay, he's kind a good athlete. Yeah. yeah, like it's not a lack of athleticism. So I'm like, I'm sure his defense is below average. But when I actually Dove into his defense and we watched it before this pod, just a few clips, right? Like he is horrible, (laughs) horrible (laughs) on, on the ball on defense. Like it is, it's, it's, I think he's probably the, in my opinion, the best offensive prospect in the draft and defensively, he might be equally as bad.
1: You put him over Topping offensively? Offensively, I do. Wow, yeah, that's high praise it, from the guys I've watched. I we well, who, what, I don't think there's anyone else in competition for that. Yeah, that we so I don't um, Lamelo, maybe, maybe Lamelo. Um, but, but but so so to yeah. be that high. Okay, so it's a draft full of role players, right? And you're saying he's arguably the best offensive role player in this draft. Yeah, why is he on a lot of mocks, a lot of big boards, not a lottery pick?
2: I don't know, and that's where I and I. Maybe I'm going I would take him in the top six or seven. Mm-hmm. I just would, and then yeah, you know, you know what you're getting. Um, but back to his defense for a second. The reason I'm sort of giving him a pass, and again, it's especially on the ball. He was horrible. <laughs> he only played 14 games this year. He had a stress fracture in his foot, and a stress fracture is like an overtime thing. Like yep. it's not just like step on it wrong, boom, you're done. I. So I don't know when that started, like when his injury started. So maybe he like is better than he showed because late in the year. Yeah, so Synergy, right. when you watch the clips, it starts with the most recent game. So you start when in theory, he's at his most injured, if you want yeah. to call it, because the, it's the then, end. then he sta- That's it's, yeah. it's the end. So I went back to his freshman year and I was like, maybe he was healthier and maybe let's just see what he was like. He was better. He wasn't good. He wasn't like Interesting. not even close to being good he was significantly better his freshman year than he was his sophomore year. So my hope and I'm he's one of my favorite players in the draft, you know that, maybe my favorite. My hope the optim, like me being optimistic is he his foot was actually really hurting him and he was playing for a horrible team. So you combine those two things like it's got to be hard to play defense on a broken foot and your team is trash man. 3 and 15 in the SEC. So like I don't know. I, I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass. I don't think he's going to be a good defender. I think he's could be awesome on offense and the mm. defense hopefully catches up. So what the name that kept coming up
1: in my head as I'm just watching him go through is Nick Stauskas. And I'm just, I was trying to think of like shooters who didn't work, right? Like lottery pick shooters who, who didn't work and why you know, why didn't they work? And, and that happens sometimes and where guys is just, you know, they, they can't athletically play at this level. And I think somebody who is anti Aaron Nismith would, would point to something like that. There's, there's examples of shooters fizzling out of the league, but I, I went through the, the last five, I want just want to read these for you. The, the last five draft classes of guys who are labeled as shooters who went in the lottery and like coming in, they were shooters and it's, it's a lot of hits. It's a lot more hits than misses. And some of these guys are more well-rounded. So, you know, think about all the players they have. They, a lot of them carry other value too. But like Tyler Hero in this, this past draft. Tyler Hero went 13th. I was going to bring um, him up actually in this. As a shooter. And then Cameron Johnson, who went 11th to, to the Phoenix Suns, who, who actually was kind of – a lot of people said that was a reach and they, they took him out of there. But with like both of those guys, they – seem uh, it's only their rookie year but they seem like they're very much going to fit in the nba as offensive role players who Mm -hmm. are shooters on the wing you go back the year before and i put uh, trey young is obviously different but i mean remember there's a lot of questions about trey young coming in particularly about his defense and you're like well the one thing we know he's gonna be able to shoot it and and he's kind of made it work but also from that class Jerome robinson went 13th who has totally has totally fizzled out of it? But it was kind of the same thing. And this guy's gonna be able to shoot the ball at the NBA level. We'll make the rest work. Year before that, Laurie Markin in seven, Malik Monk eleven, Luke Kennard twelve. It's you know a little bit of a, a little bit of a mixed bag there. But but you know some of like Kennard really looks like a guy who's gonna be able to stick in the league for for a long time. Year before that, Dragon Bender, Buddy he- Dragon Bender was four. Buddy Healed was six. Jamal Murray was seven. Torian Prince was twelve. Denzel Valentine was fourteen. Like, I feel like that's a really good encapsulation of it, right? Like Jamal Murray, probably maybe an All Star someday, like a, mm-hmm. a really high level player. Only a shooting prospect. Buddy Healed just signed a near max contract, like despite his flaws. But then, you know, then a Dragon Bender, obviously a different position than Aaron Neesmith. But he didn't give you any, he didn't, the, the shooting didn't prove, and he didn't, couldn't give you anything else. Kind of same thing with Denzel Valentine, right? Valentin was a really high-level shooter at Michigan State. Year before that, DeAndre Russell, Chris Porzingis, Devin Booker. Check, check, check. Like, it worked. So, more often than not, guys whose primary skill is labeled as being an a elite-level shooter works, but it, it really goes, it really seems to more often than not go one way or the other.
2: Yeah, that's the, no, those are really good examples. Um, and it's funny, the, the ones who are bad are like really bad, like right. out of the league bad. And the ones who are good are like, you know, it's I guess that list surprised me that there aren't a lot of quote unquote role players. Yeah. On that list. I guess the
1: only two and it's just probably because we've only seen them play 50 games are Cameron Johnson and Tyler Hero. Yeah. Like we don't really
2: know yet because we haven't seen much right. of them. And I would guess those guys would continue to get better. Like, Tyler Hero isn't going to fizzle out. I don't imagine Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It's just... So if I could tell you, if I could predict the future in four years, say he's going to be an... Back to Neesmith. Neesmith's going to be an average defender in the NBA. Yeah, he's well, going to be a damn good player then. And where would you take him in this draft? Um,
1: Two. <laughs> So, like, why? <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit over the top. Maybe. For, but, so maybe it's right now it seems like kind of the consensus is there's the main three, right? Where we go Edwards, Ball, Wiseman, seem yeah. to kind of be the. And it's not a clear cut three. It would be hard. It'd be hard to do anything to, you know, to put, to put Neesmith in that sort of range. But if he is this elite level shooter and an average defender, <laughs> you're talking about a poor man's Clay Thompson. then
2: Yeah, you are. So my thing is like, why isn't, I don't know, man. I, I just, think the answer is injury,
1: man. I think that's a big part of
2: it. Yeah. And I, I hope because I like him and I really enjoyed watching him. I hope it, him being really bad at defense was because his foot was actually messed up for most of the season. I,
1: okay. So I have concerns about him getting injured outside of his foot. When he drove to the basket, he crashed to the floor. Every time. Every time like that one huge dunk he had, like, looked like he died when when, yeah. when he hit the ground. And it's it's fell on defense a lot too <laughs> trying to <laughs> yeah. trying to guard people. <laughs> a lot of a lot of time on the floor for Ernie Smith. But I don't know, maybe I was just thinking about it because oh, this is an injured guy. But he he plays basketball like he looks like he's gonna get injured too. So I don't I don't know how much you, you factor that into his thing. And I, what I think it what I actually think that's a signal of is poor athleticism. Where you have to go 100% to be able to like compete. And then when you lose your balance and you're kind of out of control, you're going to like crash to the ground. But it, it, was, it was crazy. Pretty much every single time he went to the basket, he got mauled. Yeah. Or not even, he mauled himself. He wouldn't even need to get fouled. He would just totally lose control of his body and fall over. So I don't know. Maybe there's, there's lingering injury concerns. There's projecting that he might be an injury issue there. I'm just looking for reasons. I'm looking for reasons to put him outside of the lottery because you be talk about Kevin O'Connor. Um, he has him 15th on his big board. And I think I don't have Sam Bassinis in front of me, but he has him either late lottery or there too. And, it, it, and it's it's hard in a class full of role players to understand why this guy who pretty clearly looks like he's gonna be an awesome offensive role player.
2: That's my thing in this, in this draft, I just, I, it's confusing to me and I could be way wrong. Who knows? Maybe he's out of the league in three years and I'm going to look like an Mm -hmm. idiot. But in this draft with how many question marks, I would rather take a guy like you mentioned earlier. He's really good at this one thing. He's going to do this no matter what team he's on. Let's figure out the rest. Let's figure out the defense. Let's figure that out. Mm -hmm. But we know he's
1: going to do this. So he's like, and I know we already talked about the shot, but I want to kind of hammer this home because with Halliburton, we're dismissing the three point percentage to, you know, to yeah. a large degree. And, and with Neesmith, we're looking at it as more of a confirmation. Yes. Which isn't... That in and of itself isn't fair. But the reason is Neesmith is a 10 out of 10 in the stat, what comes up on paper, and you watch him shoot, he's a 10 out of 10. Yes. Whereas Halliburton is not that. And Killian Hayes is kind of the inverse of that, where you go, oh, he only made 29% of his threes, but you watch him and you go... I don't know if that's a ten out of ten shooter, but he looks like somebody who's really going to be able to shoot it at the next level. So there's, I guess, as I'm saying with this the three point thing, we need to assess both pieces of it, not just the numbers, but the, those two like in tandem together. And what Neesmith has is like a thumbs up on on both form
2: and in production. And just you don't even need to go watch a Vanderbilt game. Go watch a two minute YouTube clip. Like <laughs> okay. his jumper is is perfect. Like he's he's tall. He's six seven, and his his form is. I, there's not really a flaw in it so the 52% it just confirms at, like you said it he, he checks both boxes I'm glad he has an NBA body yeah
1: and and he's not he's not a high level athlete but the I didn't get to this at the beginning but some of the other guys he's like the exact same um, height weight and wingspan as a DeMar DeRozan of a of a Glenn Robinson the third of a Danny Green of that you know a real legit size two who or three yeah. you know as, as the, the league gets smaller so if he was like 6'3 and doing this with like a 6'6 wing span, you know, he just does, he right anatomically checks the like the physicality yeah. box. And I, I think that's there too. So I think we're both in agreement, very skeptical about what he can do defensively when he played against other main prospects. Like, right. I, like Isaac Okoro was his last yeah. game against Auburn. Okoro killed him. Yeah. And Okoro,
2: as a physically Okor, abused him. Like it was, I almost like. <laughs> completely changed my opinion. But he, yeah, Okoro, and granted, Okoro's different. Like, he's just physically a, a beast. But, yeah, he killed Aaron Neesmith. And He that killed was him as a
1: guard, though. And like, that was he Neesmith's took, last game He took game him before, off the dribble. Yeah. He, like,
2: cut, you know, it
1: wasn't like, it wasn't like Isaac Okoro was like, oh, I got baby on me. Like, yeah. I'm just going to back him down and go score to him. You know, he, like, he... He out him. He outsmarted him. He just outplayed him. Yeah. In you know in every every element of it. So would would you would you have Neesmith over a Coral? I mean I know those are very different types of kind of wings. Talking wolves or talking blank roster. Let's go blank roster first,
2: and then let's get into just Neesmith as a wolf. That's really tough. I I think for me they're in that like five to six seventh rank prospect. I do really like Okoro. Mm-hmm. I do. I, they're I, kind of inverses of each they other. They are, right? and it's one's a really good shooter, one can't shoot. But there, I would mm-hmm. probably go Okoro just because I think at the very least he's going to be able to guard. Like I, 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 would go slight advantage to Okoro.
1: I think Okoro is over a year younger than him too. I, I think I would too, but I think it's, it, it I think is. Neesmith
2: has a higher ceiling.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How how high could Okoro's ceiling That's what I'm even saying. be? So
2: I think. Maybe, maybe on, a, on the if Wolves, I would go Neesmith just because you got to, like we talked about, you got to hit a home run. You got to get the guy with. Maybe this
1: isn't ceiling-ceiling, um, but like a reasonable ceiling for Neesmith is Buddy Heald, and a reasonable ceiling for Isaac Okoro is Marcus Smart. Yeah. Something like that. I, but I, I actually, then I'm thinking about like, which one of those players are better? Right. I, I
2: don't know. It totally depends yeah. on the team. They're just yeah. so, they're, they're so different. But okay. To me, both those guys should be in the top five or six, seven picks. And they, could, and they both, I've seen mock drafts where they're both outside the top 10. Yeah, which is, that, yeah, that, that's bizarre.
1: I, I don't know. I look, I'll have to look into reading, more, more of the rationale on that. So how
2: many of these guys have you done now? Is this your ninth and 10th or 11th and 12th? I we've, think we've ninth done, and 10th. I, I did two without you. Well, you. You did Wiseman and Anthony Edwards. Yeah. So stack rank those guys off the top of your head for, for the Wolves. For the Wolves. Okay, well, I haven't. I think
1: Anthony Edwards would be one for me okay. for the Wolves as of now.
2: Just, just you don't even need to explain. It. I just want to hear
1: like yeah. your your order. Um, well, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I can't say Lamelo. Ball. I haven't watched Lamelo Ball. Okay. I don't know. He, I would put him in the top three. James Wiseman is just so hard. I would put James Wiseman up there, but there's the the whole the whole cat factor there. So those are your top three, in in no particular order. Um, I. I'd put Obi Toppin up there. Four, yeah. Don't don't hold me to this list. Yeah, a Coral would be up there. Nice with would be up there. Below him would be, but below those guys would be a Kangwu. and who else did we do last Cole week? Cole
2: Anthony. Not last week. Oh, but yeah. we did Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony would for sure be and after those a guys. Coral was last week.
1: And a Coral, a Coral. Yeah, I would, I would put into into that group too. So I don't know. I guess I. <clears throat> and then the French guys, but it's. It's hard, and that's what that's what's hard is the wolves is a funky situation because D'Lo and Cat are so unique in that they are high level players on the offensive end and low level players on the defensive end. So it, it very much changes. You, I know we both agree you got to do like best player available, but you can't you can't go into your assessment process of Obi Toppin and not consider the fact that. That would be a bad front court of him and Kat. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing with Aaron Neesmith. So what we're going to do now, The say they draft Aaron Neesmith. So you're going, you're do going D-Low, one of the worst on-ball defenders in, in the league. Aaron Neesmith, one of the worst on-ball defenders in, in college, you know, in, in the draft. The, in the
2: world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe in the world. <laughs> and then and Malik Beasley, I actually think Malik Beasley is going to be able to develop into an average defender. But he's not a high level. Just He's not... He's not very big. He's not he and he hasn't he hasn't defended at a high level. So it's it's very hard to rank Neesmith or Toppin mm-hmm. high because you go, oh my God, what am I doing to the Wolves already terrible defense mm-hmm. then if I if I if you select them. So maybe you just go all in on offense. <laughs> I don't I wouldn't rule it out, man. I wouldn't rule it out. And and you know, maybe with Neesmith, you like um it's kind of to your point with Hal Burton, where he's a he's a second up. Second unit scoring option. Again, Buddy Heald. They keep bringing it up. Buddy Hill came off the bench the last 30 games of the season. For the Kings, the Kings kind of took off yeah. The, the end of the year. And it was... They let Buddy do his thing w- with the second unit. And, and, you know, maybe that's kind of... Maybe that's kind of what happens uh, with Neesmith and the, the Wolves' second unit. Obviously, you got to mix it in. You would feel better. You know, you would feel better about <laughs> your second unit. Like, if your second unit is... Has Culver and a Kogi on your two wings. That's a major problem. We we learned that this year with mm-hmm. Wiggins would try and penetrate, and he's got non shooters on mm-hmm. both of his, flanking him on both sides. Well, that's, if you yeah, have Neesmith and a Kogi, that's better. You know,
2: it's only one. It's better, but I I just think Neesmith with Lo and Cat, like to put him in the starting lineup in this situation, yeah. like where all he's doing is running off screens and sitting in the corner mm-hmm. and letting the offense go through those two. And where it's like, okay, if you're going to help, boom, we're going to kick it to Neesmith. And yeah. all, all you do early on in your career, I think he's going to develop. I think actually, because off the dribble, he's better than I thought he would be. But early on, just float around the three-point line and, and shoot yeah. eight threes a game. I think, okay,
1: so so let's call him and Cole Anthony on OB top and all, all offense guys, yes. right? The archetype of Neesmith, I would be most comfortable plugging in alongside Cat and D'Lo. Yeah, I would agree. Because... I think that raises your offensive ceiling a lot more. And for all the guys, you're lowering your defensive yeah. floor. Yeah. With that, um, it would just, uh, the, well, the thing it, is that the Wolves, the Wolves want to play with elite space. And, and if you got, if you do have D'Lo, Beasley, Neesmith and Cat out there, and even Wancho, who looks like a, I mean, that is one of the best shooting teams in the NBA, period. It just is. Like, because the cat and deal already kind of get you there. And and, and Beasley looks like it too. So, so yeah, at some point, like we kind of, we kind of joke about it. Like you'll go all in on offense. Like, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the next step in this is, and then, you know, trying to surround them on the margin because the wolves aren't going to get to a point where they've got all five of their pieces or all eight of their rotation next season. Next year is going to be, they're going to start competing a little bit more, but it's a a step towards two or three years from now Mm -hmm. when Cat and D'Lo are in their prime. So maybe the next step is like, let's try and be top three in offense and maybe we'll be bottom five in defense. Like they were, you know what? They were 21st in defense this year with terrible defenders. Right. And I think a lot of that had to do with the players bought into it more than they did under Tibbs. Like I don't, I don't like. I, and everyone who listens to this knows I don't like the scheme for Cat. But I think Cat and the whole group bought into this scheme of Vanterpool a lot more than they bought into it under Tibbs. I don't even know if that's just so so simple as being able, like relatable and like liking it. But so much is going to happen, need to happen for them to become good defensively. And and they've said Vanterpool says all the time, and Ryan does too. Solid is enough defensively. That's their line. Solid is enough which is another way of saying we're all in on offense. Yeah. So maybe in that vein, Niesmith would kind of be interesting as a step in the right direction.
2: Well, and it's funny too, because like Kevin O'Connor, who we've talked about a couple of times, has defense as like one of the pluses for Neesmith. And so, and I, I don't see it. I think it's, I think it's completely it wrong. It says aggressive defender, right? It's competitive on ball defender, which go watch it. He tries hard. That means he tries hard on the ball. Yeah, but, but he's never intelligent defender. I don't know. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe his foot is really bad. Maybe this whole quarantine, he stays off his foot and he comes back way healthier. And yep. he's a six, seven rangy guy who moves better than we thought. And maybe he's actually a decent defender.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then we're all in on him, right? If right, right, we're all in, but that's gla- I mean, that's the glass half full. Yeah. I guess that's the glass half
1: full. I just, with, with all these guys, I'm going to rely on what I've seen more than, what I think could come. Right. And I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's not the right way to do it. Maybe it's thinking about these guys too much as like known commodities. When they're, they are young, they're going to develop. Right. That, that happens like in the, in the league. So the reason I like Neesmith more than Hal Burton is I do feel like I have one known. Yeah. I have one known with him. He's going to be a high level shooter. Yeah. And with Hal Burton, there's a couple different things that maybe he could be good at. But there's also quite a few things he could probably be bad at, and that's probably the difference. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Um, should we say who we're going to do next
2: week? We haven't talked about it. You want to pick right now? Do you have? Let's do tent, a tentative pick. You want me to pick one? And you pick one? Sure. I'll do Vassell from Florida State. Should we do double Florida State? The Pat, Patrick Williams guy sure. too? Let's do both.
1: Florida State, Florida State. I think this is kind of just from the messages I've got from people. People are more <clears throat> interested in these kind of more role player guys like Halliburton and Neesmith. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. Maybe that. Maybe the people who are consuming NBA content or like us, yeah. <laughs> right now are more into like the whole more deeper cut because you kind of know what you're going to get from Toppin and Edwards and that sort right. of thing.
2: So, and I really, I, I still want to do Lamelo at some point, but we just, I don't have any film on him, and like, we can all go watch the same YouTube videos. But I would like to get some. Yeah. Some game tapes, some him and of
1: of Dia. Both Denny, yeah, are both I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, I think Denny. that's right. Um, yeah, I would like to find at least a game or two to yeah. be able to watch from them to like we to did talk with to. the with the French guys. Fort- <laughs> doesn't look like anything's changing in the world anytime soon. So we'll probably still going to have, have some time to get through this.
2: Do you uh, can I ask you if I if you think the NBA is coming back? Are you allowed to answer these questions? Um sure. Do you think the NBA is coming back <laughs> this year? Yeah,
1: I do. Um, I think I think the NBA will be from the people I've talked to. I think it will be back in early June. Wow! Um, so that's not a month. And I don't mean that's necessarily games, but, but like, like
2: they're practicing, they're they're with their teams, and
1: I mean what, as we're recording, what's today, May seventh? You know, the, the conversation is about how to effectively get into practice facilities and that sort of thing. I think they will parse through that probably largely with testing Mm -hmm. in you know in the in the coming weeks that that will so that a month from now they're able to be in more of a training camp sort of mode to be able to come back now the the question the question becomes but now we're working with time of do the timbrels play again i don't know that um because to add to add you know these teams who are in the lottery games. That just extends the whole thing, and we're, we just continue to push stuff back. That 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 part is hard to know it, and, and, and people don't know. I mean, not just me don't know that. Like Gerson Rosas doesn't yeah. know that.
2: So then we ask you another question: Do you think this changes the NBA schedule f- for the first year, like going forward for the next? I mean, it kind of has to, right? Unless you just shortened next season and then got back to normal. Oh, got
1: back. Oh, so like, so permanently, like permanently, like permanently, start permanently starting start at
2: Christmas? Christmas or right after the new year and then going through the summer. I just know people have have talked about that before of like, of like way pre, years ago. But you know, maybe this is like the, the, instigator. the shove you need to get over the ledge.
1: Yeah. I and I think and wouldn't that kind of make sense to some degree too? Christmas, you know, the Christmas start, football is done at that point. Like a lot of that, you know, kind of does does make sense. It would obviously change the whole we're used to the finals in June and now it would be August
2: right. every time. Which I don't I would like, because July and I like, I really like baseball and golf, so I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But like July yeah. and August are a dead period in sports. True. Yeah. You just, you just dominate. And that. so now there really wouldn't be that big of dead period in sports by doing that.
1: Yeah. Which, I, which is why I'm for it. I think that's the thing that they're all really trying to consider at yeah. this time. Are those, are those sort of, cause they, they can't make choices because, uh, based on the virus or based on the testing. stuff, because mm-hmm. that's out of their control, what they can do is, is throw out like these different sort of hypotheticals of like, if this, then that, mm-hmm. if this, then that. And I would imagine they're work, I know they're working tire- tirelessly on that. So, so yeah, I would, I would guess by, by early June, um, the Timberwolves are back practicing and like in a group setting and, and then that, the end of the regular season or the immediate jump to the playoffs probably happens late July. You know, I'm not late July, late June, early July, something like that. It seems like they three weeks or whatever of they need to get back in shape. That would be my be- best guess right now. But yeah.
2: Dane Moore guarantees the NBA back.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pick they pick that up sixty five minutes. And if you're still listening to the podcast, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that's Wildeberg uh, at WD. At W. DeBerg14, I always mess that up. You'll get it right one of these times. One of these times, maybe. Um, thanks for doing this again. We'll be back. We'll do the, the Florida State guys um, next week as we continue just trying to find interesting basketball conversations to talk about in a time without basketball. I, this has been – I, I think this has been great. Like, I think we're I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, this is the year that I knew most about the draft ever because it's just have – what else do you watch?
2: Right. Well, there's – I mean, there's nothing on TV, so this has kind of replaced like – the five hours I spend, six hours you spend watching random sporting events. So this has actually been totally a nice replacement. I and guess.
1: I, way better than like binge watching TV. I'm so done with that, yeah. or like or movies or anything. It, it 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 is good, and it. I wish. I, I hope we move to a place in um, draft content where it gets to be a little bit more like this. We move a, away from you know five ten minute um, like highlight things. And I think Mike Schmitz, that, that stuff's great. Yeah. It, it's, it's like he, I would ask you know everybody after listening to this, you know, go watch his YouTube with Tyrese Halbert. And it's like 35 minutes where they really break it all down. And it's so important. I'm not saying you need to highlight every guy's weaknesses, but you got to talk about them. You know, yeah. we should be talking about what these guys can do at the next level, but you do need to acknowledge what they can't do, particularly in this class with guys There are not well-rounded players in this draft. Mm-hmm. And the guys who end up sticking out from this draft will be the ones who paper over the weaknesses that they have and and nesmith and and halliburton are are you know two two prime examples of that it'll be It'll look silly if Aaron Nesmith, kind of like Clay Thompson, was a late lottery pick, and clearly you know. Five years later, he's one of the best guys from, from the class. That, that, somebody's gonna pop like that, and we're gonna be like, oh my God, remember the terrible 2020 draft? Right. And somehow we drafted whoever, 15th. Like, it's a, But I don't know, I guess that kinda happens in every draft. Yeah? Um, all right, until next week, that's Will. I'm Dane um, at Dane More NBA. How I'm
0: feeling, never stop,
1: yeah. yeah, you if you dancing like nobody else around you